0: So the goal here at Summit is to prepare every single student for success in college and in life. Um, No matter where a student starts, our objective is to pick where they're at with them um, and identify a path that gets them ready for a good, fit college for themselves.
1: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today, we're talking with the leadership team from Summit Olympus in Tacoma, Washington. Our team's been following the work of Summit Public Schools for quite a while, and we were thrilled when we caught news that they were opening up several locations right here in Washington state. Summit's a great example of a network that's dedicated to deeply personalizing the education experience for its students. Tom, I know you've been a fan for a while, so what is it about Summit Public Schools that you most appreciate?
2: I'm a big fan of Summit Public Schools uh, because they combine personalized learning and project-based learning in a really smart way. They've spent a decade working on uh, structures and schedules, supports for teachers and students, and a, and a really cool learning platform that combines playlists and projects in, a, in an innovative way. And they share that across the... Uh, the nine schools in that network, as well as with uh, 100 schools around the country.
1: Awesome. Well, let's hear a little bit more about the interview that took place on campus at Summit Olympus.
2: Let's talk about your basic uh, learning model here. You you combine in interesting ways um, aspects of personalized learning and aspects of project-based learning. How how would you describe
0: that? Yeah. um, When I was talking about the kind of four quadrants, I think Project-based learning and personalized learning both fall into different quadrants for us. So personalized learning is very much the the way that students learn content at our school as a first level of learning content. So in the world we live in, our belief is that the vast majority of information that you need to learn as an individual, you can find yourself. Um, If you need to know when World War II started or you need to know an equation, that a lot of students... That by the time you get to college, you should be able to find out information for yourself and find reliable sources. So personalized learning really focuses around the content aspect of learning. So every student in our school has a personalized learning plan that has exactly the progress they've made on their content. They can take tests whenever they're ready to take tests. And they have all their resources on an online platform called the personalized learning plan that they're able to access at any point during the day or at night whenever they want to. It's essentially a giant textbook online that is resources that our teachers have all curated and believe are are good and right so students can move at their own pace when it comes to content on the flip side project-based learning our goal is with each of our classes to take the content that students are learning in their personalized self-directed way and then apply skills and projects on top of that. So when you're actually in a class, you should see a lot of students working on developing skills with groups, getting coaching from teachers, working on teams um, in order to build projects that they couldn't necessarily do without the direct coaching of a teacher. So a lot of the project-based learning is what happens in what you traditionally call a class for us, and personalized learning happens when students are in the equivalent of study hall or doing homework and able to move at their own pace. And when they when they opened up their learning platform um what
2: what would they see in terms of progress monitoring how, how could they tell how they're doing and
0: what's next yeah so when you open a personalized learning plan um you're able to see every course a student is enrolled in and then you'll see two long lines one is I'd be happy to show it to you um but you can you'll see their work on projects and the projects that they've been completed or that are coming up, um, as well as all the skills that are associated with that project and the rubric they're getting graded on. And then you'll also see all of the content they need to learn for that course over the course of a year. So when a student logs on, they will see these kind of two long lines that represent the timeline of a year. And then everything is very simple in some ways. Everything that they have passed and already shown mastery on will show up as a green. Anything that is overdue or they haven't passed yet, right. they will, will show up as a red. So it's really clear when a student sits down and opens their Chromebook, they can see, oh, this is what I need to work on today.
2: It would seem to give them a higher level of agency than is typical in a traditional school. They have a bit more control over what they're doing and where they're headed, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that we find it helps on two levels, one being, actually on a number of levels, one being that it puts it puts the learning in students' hands. It doesn't say the test is on Friday, you better know all this stuff on Friday, because if you don't know it by then, we're just going to move on. It says that, you know, students, you need to learn how to plan and manage your time, and your mentor is going to help you do that, but at the end of the day, it's on you to make sure you're ready for this thing. Um, I think the second level that helps on is for students who are really behind, those gaps are very clear to us very early on in their schooling career, so we will know you know, within a month, if a student is not able to pass any math content assessments, that that student needs some serious intervention really quickly. So it doesn't let anybody kind of fall through the cracks because teachers and administrators can see immediately what what does this student know and what do they not know. Not just what are their grades, but like what do they know and what do they not know. And I think the third level is for students who are super motivated and want to zoom ahead. I mean, we have some students who have already in ninth grade passed half of their 10th grade year of English already who are just... I love, I love doing this English stuff, I'm going to Zoom ahead, um, it gives them that opportunity. So much so that actually last year we had about 10 students who Zoomed ahead in math that actually led us to create a position this year that was teaching math three when we actually weren't even planning on offering that yet. But because we saw the skills of our students needed that, we were able to just respond really quickly. So they were not held up by the teacher. Greg, let's
2: uh, talk about how you got here as a, as a relatively new principal. When you think back to the preparation that you've had, sort of formal and informal, what, what has been most valuable to you?
0: Yeah, I um, I started with Summit about eight years ago now as a founding teacher of Everest Public High School, which was our second school. Um, and I worked there for four years and I've ran the expeditions program for, for two and I've been in Washington for the last two. And I think for me, the thing that I lean on the most was just my experience at Everest um, and helping found, found a school from a teacher perspective um, and seeing the kind of the stages of growth that a school goes through from year one to two to three to four um, and kind of the path that these students, like our founding students and our founding teachers, are laying for the future of this entire school. Um, So I really lean back a lot on those experiences. Um, I did my teacher education program at Stanford um, through the STEP program. um, And then I think over the course of teaching and leading in expeditions, my professional experience has very much has been, let's really learn how to iterate and make smart decisions based on data. Um, I don't have formal training as a principal, um, but being able to use student data, both quantitative and qualitative, and make decisions at a school-based level and really try to build culture um, feels like the most important things we're doing here. So. <laughs>
2: It's unusual that uh, you had a chance to run a network wide program like Expeditions Mm -hmm. that probably gave you exposure to all of the schools in the network and many different leaders. It did. That seems like an unusually valuable
0: opportunity uh, with
2: more broad, more breadth to it than might be typical.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it was it was really useful to be able to see, I mean, we had seven different school sites when I ran expeditions, and so being able to spend eight weeks approximately at each school site was, was actually really interesting. I think what that did for me was highlight the power of a culture of a school, even when you're using the same platform and theory of learning, mm-hmm. um, because Absolutely, our schools in San Jose feel very different than our schools in Redwood City than our schools in Richmond um, and so much of that is just based on the actions that the that the leaders are taking and that the teachers are taking with their communities so i think I think if anything it it doubled down the importance of just building community and culture at a school and and just building buy-in and teaching students that even though personalized learning is really different, and project-based learning might be really different for you, that it's the right way to go. And getting that buy-in, though, is, I think, is where, where you see a really big difference between the ways our schools operate. Too,
2: Alex, you had, you had a chance to work at Leadership Public Schools, a great uh, Bay Area network, and now you're an assistant principal here in Tacoma, uh, Summit. So, uh, how how would you describe your preparation as a school administrator and what aspects of that have been most valuable?
3: Sure. Uh, I went into school leadership about four years ago. Uh, I did a principal prep program at Berkeley called the Principal Leadership Institute. Um, that was actually incredibly helpful. It definitely gave me a theoretical framework to operate with. Um, I you know, I learned how to make decisions that were grounded in a combination of data and values and experiences and research. Um, I got to put those um, experiences into practice as an administrator with Leadership Public Schools in California. I was there for three years. Um, in my role there I was overseeing professional development and overseeing teacher coaching and rolling out just a number of academic programs. Um, so, you know, it's always great to have the training in school and then be able to authentically practice it because sometimes what you learn in school and what you practice in the field is not always does not always perfectly match up. Um, I was at LPS for, for a few years and Just working in the Bay Area, you hear about Summit a lot because the network has such a big presence there. Um, I did not know a whole lot about Summit, but I was definitely curious about it. You hear all about personalized learning and the uh, innovation that you just associate with the Summit name. So when I moved up to Washington, I was just really excited to hear that Summit had recently opened a school here, and it just felt like such a cool opportunity to both work for this network that I'd heard so much about and help start something new in Tacoma.
2: Both of these are are well-known, well-respected networks. How, how would you compare and contrast the
3: ideas that are central to those two networks? Yeah. Um there there's certainly a lot of commonalities and I think what what really stands out as similar is both networks are very much grounded in their values. And those values are just a deep belief in every single student and a deep desire to serve every single student, no matter who they are, no matter what background they come from, no matter what skills they enter with. And I think both organizations are just incredibly driven by that mission of like, hey, we're going to take whoever walks through our doors and we're going to get them to succeed in college. Um, Both networks talk a lot about it's not, we, we know how to get kids into college. That's not really the big secret anymore. Now the big Challenge is how do we actually get students through college, and that when I started at LPS, the push was getting them in. Now, if you go interview people at LPS, the push is we're getting them in. What what next? And when I came to Summit, I was happy to hear that that's that's what we're thinking about too. Okay. Like we're not going to celebrate admissions anymore. We're going to celebrate college graduation. Um, LPS does a lot of is just really into innovation as is Summit. Um, I don't think I think Summit is. What Summit is doing with the Facebook partnership and the personalized learning plan, you will see similar things at LPS and they're developing their own set of technology, Um, but but the plans look different, the learning styles look different, the pure emphasis here on project-based learning and personalized learning is more unique to Summit and LPS um, just instructionally values some other things.
2: But both seem like great examples of networks that have common goals, a learning model, a set of tools, and then a real strong commitment to teacher and leader development.
3: Absolutely, I have the utmost respect for both networks.
2: Alex, at Getting Smart, we're big fans of advisory programs. We think they are important as both uh, distributed counseling and college and career advising and uh, culture setting and and academic monitoring. And Summit is known for having a great advisory program. You call yours uh, a mentor program. Um, Could you describe how that program works?
3: Sure. Uh, Summit deeply, deeply believes in personal relationships, personal relationships between students, but also between students and faculty. Um, And at its core, I think what's really cool about the mentoring program is it just, it ensures that every single kid in this building is incredibly well-known by hopefully every adult, but at least one adult. I mean, there's one person in this building that just absolutely has your back no matter what. And to me, that is just like incredibly cool. Um, but mentoring groups, they also give us an awesome opportunity to form community. Students come in as ninth graders with their mentor group and they stay with their mentor group for four years. So they get to know that group of students incredibly well. They get to engage in common experiences with those students. And in the mentor, they find someone who is giving them constant advice and guidance and setting goals and facilitating the reflection process and trying to hit some of those um, life skills and habits of success right. that Greg was referring to when he initially described our model.
2: And that starts every, every day, to Stud- Monday to Thursday?
3: Yep. Students meet with their uh, mentor groups to start every single day, Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, they have extended So it seems
2: like a great first check-in. You, you, there's a, a teacher and a group of young people that get to see up close uh, how a kid's doing. Absolutely. Right? Uh, a good check-in. To, uh, t- and people that know immediately if things are going well or not absolutely
3: that is certainly at the core
2: and then uh, at least once a week there's a chance to check in on your goals and your progress with your with your mentor
3: that's right on Fridays our students check in one-on-one with their mentors and just as you said they are pulling up the PLP they're looking at their academic progress they're referring back to goals that they've set and really trying to create action plans to make sure that they have small successes and small wins the next week as well as just larger long-term wins
2: we talked earlier about expeditions, but where would a student make choices about expeditions? Might they talk about that with their mentor?
3: We, They can certainly talk about that with their mentor. We, in the beginning of the year, uh, do a lot of work to advertise all of our expedition options with students and mentor group. They're getting lessons on here. Are all of our community partners here are all of the things that you can do. And then we have students tell us uh, what expedition courses they want to take. And Greg, in overseeing expeditions here, has just done an awesome job, one, matching, student, uh, matching students with the course that they want to take. And then also just being flexible um, and checking with students and seeing how their expedition courses are going and making adjustments when adjustments need to be made.
1: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more about great work happening in schools across the country, head to our iTunes channel where you can find all sorts of great resources and different conversations with school leaders. For example, season two, episode 14 is Good Work at University Academy. And as we jump back in, we're gonna start talking about the four elements of college and career readiness that Summit has put together. It's a really unique and clear identifier of the work that Summit does for personalized learning. Tom, do you wanna touch on those four elements?
2: With the world changing so fast, we think it's a great idea for communities to have a conversation about what graduates should know and be able to do. We think Summit Public Schools has uh, done as good a job as anyone of defining a graduate profile. They talk about it in four quadrants, uh, content knowledge, cognitive skills, habits of success, and real life experiences. The neat thing about the Summit model is the way they create learning experiences and time each week to work on each of those outcome areas. For example, they work on content knowledge uh, through personalized learning time, a digital playlist for every student. They apply that knowledge through project time. They work every week on habits of success with their mentors and in community time and then every few weeks, they get a chance to uh, to pick real life experiences in expeditions.
1: And I think it's those combination um, that allows you when you walk into any summit school, you really see kids engaged in meaningful and powerful ways. And I think it's because they're hitting personalization on all sorts of levels, both interest-based, project-based, but also content knowledge. So it's a really, really unique model. If you have the opportunity to visit a Summit school, we highly recommend it. So now let's head back to those conversations that we had on the Tacoma campus.
0: Greg, what is the goal here at Summit? So the goal here at Summit is to prepare every single student for success in college and in life. Um, No matter where a student starts, our objective is to pick where they're at with them um, and identify a path that gets them ready for a good fit college for themselves. Um, the way we do that is identifying four major quadrants that we identify as um, being essential for college readiness. Those four quadrants are content knowledge, so the bare bones um, information that you need to know to pass a biology class, a math class, a history class, an English class, a Spanish class. Um, we also identify our second quadrant is cognitive skills. So we focus very heavily in our class time on developing student skills that are transferable between different classes, um, and these could range anywhere from a particular writing skill or an inquiry skill or a research skill. Um, So things like critical thinking would fit in there? Absolutely. So critical thinking, group work, all those kind of things that are really more the life skills that you need, out, no matter what content you're in, um, is what we'd identify more as those cognitive skills. All of our projects are built around a cognitive skills rubric that's actually common across every single class for the four years students are here. Or if they're in middle school, for the seven years that they're with us, they see the same cognitive skills rubric that's backwards planned from 12th grade to sixth grade so that they know exactly what their level is of a particular skill and what their next step is. So it's a very personalized skill rubric that all of our teachers have access to to be able to see a really quick formative assessment before they even start any project, um, which is a huge benefit. Our third quadrant is habits of success Um, and these habits of success are really focused around goal setting and emotional intelligence and reflection Um, and our students develop habits of success both through their mentor group as well as through one-to-one check-ins with their mentor so at our school every single student is assigned a mentor right when they come here in ninth grade and a mentor group that they'll travel with for the entire four years they're with our school And they see this mentor group at the beginning of every single day for the first 10 minutes and will spend time either setting goals for the day or reflecting on a challenge or doing whatever they need to do to get ready for the day with this group. And then they'll also spend extended time on Fridays together um, with the objective really being diving into a particular habit that maybe they want to develop or something they need to reflect on that didn't really work for them for that week. And they use their mentor group really kind of as a support group um, to help themselves get through a really difficult college prep high school experience. Um, In these times also, we'll do some things that are sometimes really focused around college readiness. And at other times, they might be focused around reflection or journaling or um, developing some more self-awareness around your emotional intelligence capacity. So these lessons on Fridays are very much meant to be reflective of what are the needs of that particular mentor group at that particular time. And I guess the final thing to say about habits of success is that when we have interviewed our students um, who have graduated from our summit schools and moved on to college, one of the things that they actually have identified as one of the most important skills they need in college is just that ability to reflect and persevere through challenges. Um, And so we really see those habits of success not as like fluffy soft skills, but actually as the core of what's actually going to keep our students in college. Um, And then the final quadrant is expeditions, which is um, where students are identifying their passions and then taking elective and enrichment courses in order to explore those. So while in ninth and 10th grade, those might start as an art class or a cooking class or a soccer class, um, by the time they're in 11th and 12th grade, the goal is for them to actually identify potential career paths for themselves um, and actually set up, internships in those areas and get some real world experience um, in them so we have a number of students right now who are who have identified like i want to be a lawyer i want to work with animals and that we're actively working on finding placements for them for next year so they can actually spend some time out of the school building as well and what we've seen with that um you know for passions is really that that is can sometimes be the spark for students who are otherwise not incredibly motivated to recognize, like, wow, I actually do want to go to college because there's this larger goal that I have in mind. Um, so having a sense of direction for students, expeditions ha- helps a lot with that. Greg,
2: let's do a deep dive around uh, these expeditions. Tell us a little bit about how they fit into the schedule.
0: Yeah, expeditions are four two-week blocks throughout the course of the school year. So students will have eight complete weeks of expeditions over the course of the year, and it's spread out pretty evenly throughout the year. Um, and so during expeditions, basically, students stop taking all of their regular academic classes. Um, so they won't take math or English or anything like that. And they'll actually, when they're in ninth and 10th grade, they'll select two different expeditions in areas that they're choosing. Um, and they'll actually spend the entire day diving into those two subjects. So an example can be we have a filmmaking class and we have a computer coding class. So a student might have the morning with computer coding, the afternoon with film. Other students might have soccer, or or beat making, or swimming, or football. No, no, we don't have football. Uh, basketball. We have a lot of different activities. Um, we have theater. We have a speak with purpose kind of slam poetry class. We have over 15 different expeditions. We work with community partners, and in Tacoma specifically, we work with Metro Parks as a major partner, and they help run um, our elective and enrichment classes. So before you came to
2: Tacoma, you you organized expeditions for the network in California. I did. You knew uh, that. Were there other uh, were there other <laughs> options
0: that you included for those California schools? Yeah, I mean, we the kind of model behind expeditions is both trying to be centralized and consistent, so that we have a core group of teachers who are really skilled at teaching the core classes and able to actually, when I led it in expeditions, we actually traveled around school to school um, and would offer consistently a sociology class, an art class, uh, et cetera but the model of expedition is also built to be very responsive to a particular community as well. So while there's that core, every single class looks slightly different depending on the school and the community we're in. So we they, try to take are advantage Are they also a mixture of in school and out of school or are they, do yeah. they all take place at school? They're a mixture of in school and out of school. Um, in California and actually here in Washington, we have about 50% off campus and about 50% on campus. So
2: Let's do a, um, a, a couple examples.
0: of off-campus learning opportunities? Yeah, um, during expeditions, sure. Um, Off-campus learning opportunities could include, um, I mean, an example here at Tacoma is we have a culinary arts class where students actually go off campus into a professional kitchen um, and spend their time in a kitchen that is a resource we don't have here, but they're able to go off and work with a chef on learning the basics of culinary arts. We also have a music recording class where students actually go to a music studio up in Hilltop and learn how to make beats with a professional musician. Um, And then I think in other examples are we've done especially in California, just because we've had more time to develop it there. We have a number of internships. Like, some students literally spent their whole expeditions off at a farm learning about, um, like, organic farming or spent an internship at Google or Facebook. So... We are always looking for kind of external partners to offer those opportunities. Is it more common for
2: upperclassmen to do an individual
0: internship? Yeah, most generally internships are prioritized by grade level. So 12th graders will have the first opportunity, then 11th, then 10th, then 9th. So we haven't done any internships here in Tacoma yet, um, but we're working on building that out for our students next year. That's so the one other thing to say about expeditions is every student during expeditions will take a college readiness class when they're in 11th grade as well, um, which will take up one of their slots of expeditions with the intention being that they're learning, they're doing their test prep there, they're writing college essays, they're identifying a the college list for themselves. Um, and they're doing a lot of the bare bones stuff that they need to do for 12th grade. So expeditions sound really cool for students, but they're also magic
2: for teachers. What What's the, the flip side of an expedition is that Teachers get
0: those eight weeks for professional development. That is the flip side. Um, yeah, all of our teachers during expeditions have, I mean, really over the course of the year, about 100 hours of professional development while their students are on expeditions and working with our external partners um, and our expedition teachers. So we'll use that time kind of at a school site to make sure that – to spend time reflecting on how school has been going, do individual deep dives on particular students of concern, as well as doing a lot of professional development around areas of concern of the school and areas of strength that we want to build on. Um, And so that could be any Version of an initiative for from we want to really work on aligning with group work for this next upcoming session, or we really want to dive into inquiry based learning, or whatever it might be. It's a really great opportunity to step back and allow our teachers to get on the same page Um, and Yeah, just be part of a team.
2: Uh, Let's talk a little bit about professional development for teachers. So every teacher have a, a, some kind of an individual development plan?
0: Yeah, every teacher at our school has has a coach that's either myself or Alex. Um, and each of our teachers is working on slightly different things. Um, we don't have a kind of online system that we use for teacher development yet. Um, we have definitely piloted things similar to a personalized learning plan for, for our teachers, um, but. We don't have yet a prototype that we really like enough to use consistently. Um, That said, every teacher is working on different things and gets a lot of personalized attention from either Alex or I. I mean, we have coaching meetings every week. We very much have a culture of being in each other's classrooms all the time. Um, And so all of our teachers are very used to getting quick feedback that's really actionable. And we try to dive into those during our professional development sessions.
2: What does teacher collaboration look like here? What's the, let's sort of run through a week and. What forms of communication and collaboration would teachers have with similar teachers, um, you know, in job alike conversations and then
0: uh, across the, the faculty here? Yeah, for the most part, our, our teachers collaborate primarily right now on grade level teams. So the vast majority of our collaboration happens looking at individual students or class sets of students or the culture of a particular class and really working to identify areas of strength and areas of growth. So like an example can be, if the English teacher is seeing a particular strength from a student and finding a lot of success and the physics teacher is not, we see a lot of collaboration of like, oh, I have a good contact, this is what I did and this is what helped turn that student around in my class. So we see a lot of that. Um, We also, in terms of collaboration, our teachers collaborate on a course level team that's a summit network wide team that they meet with every other week. So all of the world studies teachers at Summit will get together on a video conference for an hour to talk through the project they're working on and make iterations on it, or talk through things that they're finding successful or not, so there's a lot of collaboration between the network um, on course level work as well. I think an area of growth for us, a thing that we are still working on doing is finding finding more opportunities for inner, like, inner class mm-hmm collaboration. Um, And we have some projects that have been built that way. Like we have a big project that's a a persuasive speech project that is both the history and the English class working together on it. There are some projects in 11th grade that revolve around nuclear um, energy and history that kind of work together. Um, But I think that's an area that we actually want to really work on expanding is more curriculum development together as well.
1: So Tom, one of the things that we're really excited about to kind of dive into further this year is is the idea of networks within education and, and how those networks offer a new opportunity to really scale personalization. I think Summit is a wonderful example of how they're doing this in a variety of ways. Would you agree?
2: We think networks are really important because uh, personalized learning is really hard. It's like brain surgery and rocket science Uh, all in one, so we we don't think individual schools should have to figure all of this out on their own. We we think it's a great opportunity to build a network or join a network, and Summit is a neat example of both. It's both a a managed network of charter schools on the West Coast, and each new school in that network is really an R&D lab for a set of new practices and new tools. But because new school development is slow and expensive, Summit doesn't rely on that as their only impact strategy. They are also able to offer their platform and free professional development to a growing network of schools around the country. They've already got over 100 schools nationwide uh, using their platform. So it's exciting to see these two um, impact strategies playing out and, and helping so many schools really advanced personalized learning.
1: And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can um, go to summitlearning.org where you can learn a little bit more about what it would look like to bring personalized learning to your school um, through the Summit model and the Summit platform.
2: And watch Getting Smart for uh, hashtag network effects. More on networks in learning.
1: As we mentioned before, check out season two, episode 14, Good Work at University Academy for more conversations with great school leaders. You can find this and many other education thought leadership podcasts on our iTunes channel. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We'd also appreciate it if you share this or any of our podcasts with your friends via social media. We're on any network you use, at getting underscore smart on Twitter. And you'll also find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. A big thanks to the Summit team and, of course, to Tom for sharing about his visit. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Megan. And Tom. Signing off.